The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here, hour number two on today's Monday edition of uh, of the show here that we have that is the only local morning sports talk show right here in the beautiful city of Tucson. And whether you're listening to us on the AM side at 1490, on the FM side at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream, which can be found on ESPNTucson.com or uh, an Alexa-enabled device, I appreciate you tuning in here on this uh, Monday morning and every weekday morning from 7 to 9 for uh, for the show here is uh, I know you have options of where to lend your ears to gather the sports news and information and opinions and entertainment that you so desire and I appreciate you choosing the Jeff Dean show here on ESPN Tucson we'll try to keep it keep it flowing here for you try to keep you entertained and informed as best we can um, coming up in a little bit later in this uh, in this hour we'll be talking to some previewing the uh, the Suns and Mavericks series I mean we'll probably start it earlier uh, just because. <clears throat> Uh, it's the you know it's it's the thing that people want to want to discuss. I mean, even when the Suns were off, people were talking about the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and I think you know, anytime you've got the best record in the NBA and then get kind of pushed, you know, a little bit further than what people thought you would in round one. Now, look, look, there were there were plenty of, of experts slash pundits out there that were picking the Suns to sweep the series against the New Orleans Pelicans. I was not one of them. I picked the Suns in five. They won in six. Uh, it's an extra game. I, people, uh, listen, <laughs> I get it. I've been a Suns fan my entire life. Every every year I've been on this earth, it, then you know, I was able to recognize fandom uh, for myself and teams that I that I like watching. I, I grew up a Suns fan and watching the Suns and dying with them every single year that they didn't win the championship and in moments where. They had opportunities to win the championships and great teams that fell short early and all this other stuff and all the heartbreak that comes along with being a Suns fan. You just kind of learn to almost like expect the the unexpected or for Suns fans, it's the expected that you'll just get knocked out before you get your chance to hoist that trophy. So for a lot of Suns fans, this was, oh, here we go again. Uh, can't close out a series against a team that was 10 games under 500. First of all, that team started the season, what were they, 2-14, and 2-13 and 13 to start the, the NBA season this year, the Pelicans were? They finished a lot stronger than they started, that's for damn sure. And I don't think anyone watching with half a brain would recognize that team as a, a nine seed in, a, in, a, in an NBA conference and certainly not a team that was going to continue to be 10 games under 500 if they played another 82 games. They did, that team was not going to end up that way. There's no chance in hell. Uh, I think if they get Zion Williamson back next year and they get somebody who's who wants to be there, a Zion Williams who who wants to be there and shed some weight, get some of the stress off stress stress off of those feet and those those ankles and those knees, that's a team that's got top four seed potential in the West. Depending on what the Lakers do and you know where some of the other teams you know fall, I don't know if Minnesota is going to be a team that is capable of of moving up too far. Uh, based on what I saw from them, even though they did take uh, the two seed Grizzlies nearly to the brink, but uh, I, you know, I feel like the Pelicans are a team that you know maybe if they get a healthy Zion next year, 
that's a team who I would I would just pencil them in for the five seed in the West. Like I think they're depending on and, and Denver's going to get healthy. Yes, I realize that, but I would I would sit there and I would say, okay, I think you know they could potentially beat out a team like a you know uh, whoever the the second best team is in that you know that central division of the South or whatever it's called. Um, I, I feel like that you know Pelicans could be a, a top five seed. So the uh, the Phoenix Suns, you know, they're going to be in action. We'll talk about them. We'll preview their series. Just real quick, you know, looking at what we saw yesterday for round two, the Bucks just completely suffocated the Boston Celtics. Giannis gets the triple-double, 24 points, 13 boards, 12 assists. Ho-hum, yon, yon. Uh, look, he's just – he's so incredibly good. I, he's – he has the perfect nickname. Like, he, like, I always think about this. Like, people that say, who, what's, what's the best nickname in sports? People say that all the time. And I'm like, it's Giannis, Greek freak. It's easy to say. It's just two quick, you know, two quick syllables, right? Greek freak. He's Greek. Freak is a perfect way to describe his game, his stature. He's seven feet tall. He's, he's chiseled out of stone. He can run the floor. He can play the point. He can now shoot the three. He can post up. He's got incredible leaping ability for a seven-footer, somebody that size. You don't see that kind of athleticism. He's a freak. The two, the two names rhyme, Greek freak. You know, they rhyme. And I, I think it, it just it describes him perfectly. That's why I was thinking I was, when people ask me, like, what's the best nickname in sports? It's Greek freak. Uh, and, again, yesterday he was, he was a complete wrecking crew. They were, the Celtics did everything they could to try to slow him down and he just continued to beat them in multiple ways, whether it was in fast break opportunities, breaking down one-on-ones, ISOs, posting up, passing out of double teams, beating them on the glass, beating them to lose balls. He was, he was everything. He is, he's, dare I say, the best player in the NBA. Probably going to get a lot of people shook on that. But for my money, I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA. He proved it during the finals last year when he was averaging 38 points a game. Uh, it just, you know, complete one-man wrecking crew. Won that, you know, put the entire team on his back and won that title by himself. And I don't want to say, you know, don't give credit to Drew Holiday or Bobby Portis or Chris Middleton or anybody, you know, those guys were there. But <laughs> that guy was unstoppable, in the, specifically in the final three games of that series. And they beat the Celtics last night, beat them good uh, in Boston. Now, I still think that series is going to be a lengthy one because Boston is gritty. I don't think they're going to be as poorly, as poor shooting in, in, you know, in future games. They took 53 pointers in that game, 50. I could tell early it was going to be one of those because Al Horford had six three-point field goal attempts in the first half. Oh, yeah, this, is, this, is, this, is not, this is not their game. This is not what they're looking for. Milwaukee's got them right where they want them. And they did. I mean, they, they, they just shut them down completely. 18 of 50 from beyond the arc for the Boston Celtics in that game. Then you got the Warriors-Grizz, which was a lot more exciting. 117-116 victory for the Warriors. Draymond gets tossed for the face rake slash jersey grab of Brandon Clark. It, there's a lot of discussion today whether that should have been an F2. Okay, because he got the F2, got tossed, got ejected. It, but he knew, like he knew it. He knew it right away. It's almost like he did it on purpose. <laughs> okay, but that's, you know, Draymond does what, what Draymond's going to do. 
I don't know if I agree with the F2. I heard uh, Tim Legler this morning talking about it, and he's like, he goes, the face rake is an F1, and the jersey grab is an F1. It's almost like the officials decided to just add them together. One plus one equals two. And I guess I'm okay with that. If you it, Like two flagrant ones on one play equals a flagrant two. I'm okay with that. I, I don't have a problem with that. I've just seen a lot worse <laughs> in the NBA not result in an F2. So I thought it was a little bit more of like, that's Draymond. That's going to be an F2. Like if it had been any other player, you know, maybe not. It maybe wouldn't be an F2. Or, you know, I guess if it happens to a superstar, probably an F2. Like if if the Grizz, you know, like if Jaron Jackson had done that to Steph Curry, Jaron Jackson's gone. Like that's, that's, that's an F2. You're, you're gone. <laughs> Get face rake and jersey grab Steph Curry. Uh, so I, you know, whatever I, it is, what it is, and you know that's that's the way the NBA is going to look at. It. But you know, it's a, it was a Scott Foster game. Scott Foster officiated that game, and I wasn't surprised to hear that whistle blowing time and time and time and time again. And then what we got at the end of the game was absolute ridiculousness. It's one seventeen, one sixteen. Okay. The Warriors are shooting free throws. I don't remember who. I think it might have been Jordan Poole at the free throw line. He misses the free throw. Okay? Ball kind of goes up in the air. There's a scrum for it. There's four seconds left on the clock. I mean, it's a one-point game. It, it, this is the playoffs. Like, of course, it is every man for himself. Go get the ball. So there's a, there's a you know, there's the ball kind of gets tipped around. Bang, 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 bang. A lot of hands and fingers and stuff. A lot of guys jumping. Ball goes out of bounds. Three officials. Three officials all huddled around there looking at one another like, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? And all of them were like, nope, didn't see it. Let's call a jump ball. Are you kidding me? Like, I mean, are you absolutely kidding me? Three guys in a half-court set after a free throw. There was There was no action going on before that. It wasn't like, a transition game where one of the officials is trailing, maybe a little bit behind the play. It's late in the game. He's tired. What you know, whatever. Those are all acceptable. I, I can accept that kind of stuff. They've all been standing there. There was a timeout. They've all been standing there waiting for the ball to be shot at, from the free throw line, and to see what happens. Three guys standing there could not decide or didn't want to decide whose ball it was going to be. So they call a jump ball, which is the biggest cop out in the history of sports like how can you do that like okay in that situation okay in any other game if it's just a regular season game three minutes left in the third quarter okay i'm totally fine with calling a jump ball fine you you, you missed it You, you weren't you were picking your nose whatever happened you didn't see the play call a jump ball dudes Brah, this is the playoffs. It's the it's going to be the final play of the game. You weren't paying attention enough, and then you go completely nuclear by calling a jump ball. You just blow it up like oh, no, we didn't see it. Oh my god! I, I, these are the kinds of things when studying NBA officiating that just it, you, you just say what what on earth are they doing? There are, there are human errors. I get it. Okay, lots of lots of human errors. We we see them in sports all the time from officials, umpires, you know, whatever referees, whatever have you. 
Okay, we see them all the time. I the NBA. What if you watched both of those games yesterday? Did you recognize both of those as being even in the same league? <laughs> I mean, the way that those games were called. Because I didn't. Like I, I watched. I settled in. I, I was like, I'm going to watch this Celtics and Bucks game because I think one of these two teams are going to be playing the Suns for the championship, and I want to watch them play. And I thought the flow of the game was pretty good. I didn't think it was too physical. I thought they let them play a little bit. There were a lot of whistles called, but there was a, there was also a lot of suspect kind of. I shouldn't say suspect. There was a lot of scrambling type defense being played, and I thought players were a lot of times out of position from both sides. So that led to some fouls, very very obvious fouls. Okay, easy enough. Then you watch that Warrior game, the Warrior Grizz game, and you're like. There's guys, you know, barely touching one another. You know, fouls being called left and right. It was like, what, 42, 42 fouls called in that game? Something like that? No, I'm sorry, 49. 49 fouls called in that game. Ay, ay, ay. It's like, it was like watching two different leagues yesterday, watching those two games. <laughs> like, they didn't belong. And then Foster's crew completely screws the pooch at the end. How do you not have the, enough focus after a free throw, after a timeout, to be paying attention to see who knocked the ball out of bounds. But no, they decide to just cop out, go nuclear, blow everything up, and call a stinking jump ball. Absolutely. Unco- I mean, it, that is unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. <sighs> so that'll be it. If I'm the Grizzlies, because I think it was Grizzlies ball. Like, you watch the replay, you're like, uh, I, um, I can't remember, was it Wiggins? I think it was Wiggins who touched the ball last. Like, that was Grizzlies basketball. And they didn't get it. The jump ball goes to the, to the Warriors. Warriors secure the win. Uh, it, it, was, it, it was egregious. It was terrible. Uh, and I, if I'm the Grizz, I'm really, really upset right now. All right, so the Phoenix Suns going to be taking on the Dallas Mavericks in game one. That is tonight. Coverage starts here on ESPN Tucson at 6.30. Tip-off is scheduled for 7, you know, 7.05 or whatever it's going to be officially. Uh, but we're going to take a start taking a look at the matchups here because, you know, obviously Luka is back. He's healthy. He's played the last few games for the Dallas Mavericks in their round one win over the Utah Jazz. Now, check this out. Now, per Stathead, uh, which is, a you know, a great place to kind of get, like, this type of info, um, it's a it's a it's one of the reference sites. You know, if if you're if you've looked up statistics for you know for sports, baseball, football, whatever, you've been to the reference. You know what I mean? The reference.com sites. Stathead is one of their offshoots. Okay. Luka Doncic, through his first 16 career playoff games, is shooting 49 percent from the field. Okay, which is phenomenal. First of all. He's averaging 32.7 points per game, almost 33 points a game, nine rebounds and nine assists. The only player to average more points per game in playoff history is Michael Jordan, who's averaging about seven-tenths per game more than Luka. He has been at his best in the postseason, but the Mavericks have not. Why is that? And I think a lot of times when you get into postseason, you have to rely on the other guys. You can't just let your superstars dominate the game. 
And as I watched in round one of the Dallas Mavericks when they were playing without Luka, I mentioned this on the show. I felt like the ball movement was better. Uh, the ball movement was better, and I thought their defense was better without Luka. Then you get Luka in there, and he's dominating the ball. There's tons of ISO play. Now there's a little more space, however, for the shooters, which is nice if the Mavericks shooters can actually knock down jump shots, which they ended up doing later in the series that they were not doing earlier, which is kind of weird that they uh, they were getting a little more open shots because Luka, so that makes sense. But they were still missing wide open shots in games one and two. So it, it's tough to look at this Mavericks team and say, you know, oh, because of Luka, they're, you know, they're an unbeatable team. And I don't think anybody would because, well, if, hell, if you look at what the ESPN, the quote-unquote experts, have uh, have predicted for this series, all 19 of them that they're employing at ESPN, uh, of the people who do NBA coverage, whether it's games, color analysis, you know, uh, you know, film analysis, whatever have you, there's like 18 or 19 of them. All of them picked the Suns to win this series, every single one of them. Nobody picked the Mavericks to win this series. Now, the Suns went 3-0 and against the Mavericks, haven't played them since January, so it's been a while. It's going to be interesting. There are, there are some interesting matchups in this series that I'm going to get into coming up next because the game of a couple of players on the Mavericks has really elevated, specifically Jalen Brunson, who has really come, you know, come into his own in the last few months of this season, specifically now in the postseason. There are a couple of matchups to look for in this series outside of just whatever the Suns are going to do with Luka. And I think it could speak volumes as to what's going to happen uh, in regards to the outcome of this series. And we'll talk about that next. Stay right here to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show. Talking NBA playoffs right now. Phoenix Suns versus Dallas Mavericks. Game one tonight, which again you can hear right here on ESPN Tucson. Coverage starting at 630 right after Spears and Ali. Get you all geared up for that as they do every afternoon from 3 to 6. And uh, so we'll have that game here for you as well as all the Suns playoff games right here on ESPN Tucson. The matchups that I'm that I'm kind of looking at here, like, like I, I think – I feel the same way that a lot of people do that are, you know, paid to predict this series and break down certain things, um, you know, in, in, you know, in the postseason specifically for the NBA and stuff. So the Mavericks got a, what I think is a favorable matchup in round one. Now the jazz were favored in that series because Luca was out with strained calf, but they were able to win two of the three games that he missed. They're up two one in the series without Luka Doncic. And it's because Rudy Gobert, as good as he is defensively, is one of the best defensive players in the league, he's great at protecting the rim. Dallas is not a team that is going to attack the rim. They're not a team that gets a ton of points in the paint like that, specifically with Luka Doncic out. Uh, They're a team that's going to spread and shoot longer range or get easier buckets by spreading the floor and finding open looks elsewhere. Um and asking Rudy Gobert to come out on a smaller team because Dallas is small. I mean, they were running Dorian Finney-Smith at six foot eight 
at center for a while. It was, like, it was almost like watching the Warriors when they had you know Draymond out there playing center for years. They were just super, super small. And asking Rudy Gobert, who you need out there, I mean, he's one of your best players. He's got to be there. Asking him to go out and guard corner threes, is, he, he doesn't do it. That's not what he does. So I think it was a favorable matchup in round one for the Dallas Mavericks. Round two, not so much. I think this particular matchup is really, really troublesome for Dallas and extremely advantageous for the Suns. Because not only do the Suns have a dominant offensive front court with DeAndre Ayton, um, and then, you know, whomever else. I mean, and look, JaVel McGee, as much as they brought him here to be kind of an energy rebounder, shot blocker kind of guy that can still bring plenty of athleticism, he's been great offensively so far this postseason as well. So, you know, getting him involved offensively has been a real boost for the Suns when DeAndre's on the bench. I mean, look, DeAndre's been great. 21 points, 10 rebounds per game essentially in the series. And I, I'm, I'm rounding up where I can round up. It's 20.6 points per game, so 21, and 9.9 rebounds per game, which is 10. Okay, So 21 and 10 in the opening series, he shot 70% from the field, including two three-pointers. So he's really, really feeling it right now. And Dallas doesn't have anybody to guard him. Like, they, they, don't, they don't have anyone to guard DeAndre. They've got, uh, as the aforementioned, Dorian Finney-Smith, who's five inches shorter than DeAndre is, four or five inches shorter than, than, than Dre is. Or they've got, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Boban, who only plays garbage minutes anymore, and Dwight Powell. Uh, really? Like, those, that's who you're going to throw? At uh, DeAndre Ayton, I, I think I think DeAndre Ayton is going to have a really big series. And look, all of those front court guys for Dallas, whether it be Powell, Boban, or Dorian Finney-Smith when he plays the center position, they're still only averaging like 22 minutes. You know, like I think Powell's averaging like 22 minutes a game, Boban like seven, and Dorian Finney-Smith like 13. I think at the center position, so. The Suns are going to be able to feast inside. Now, that's not to say that Dallas is just completely in trouble. They're going to get swept and beat by 30 points every night. That's not going to happen because Dallas' defense, you got to give them more credit than that. Where Dallas can really, can really hurt the Suns is by making the Suns' bigs come out and guard on the perimeter. Well, what have we been talking about last year, this season, and all postseason? is how good of a perimeter defender DeAndre Ayton has become, right? I mean, that's what that's what we're talking about here. He's, he's, you know, as good as he is near the basket, he's not a great rim protector, but he's an excellent defender still in the paint. He's equally as good, if not better, out on the perimeter because he has worked on that, and he, he takes great pride in his ability to go out and guard the guards, guard the smalls, if the Suns want to switch. And that's what the Mavericks are going to try to do. For, they're going to try to switch Luka off of Mikel Bridges because they're, they're going to, they're, the Suns are going to put Mikel Bridges on Luka Doncic and just say, I want, you to, I want you to tell me what he had for breakfast this morning. That's what I want. I want you to be so close to him that you can smell his breath. Like, I, we want you to be a, a cape on his back. They, they're just going to stick him to Luka the entire time. Now, Dallas obviously going to try to get – try to set screens, try to get switches. If the Suns can adequately get switches to still, you know, be in their favor, guys like Jay Crowder, if they, you know, they switch, you can put Jay on, on Luka, 
Um, Luca's not the fastest guy, which is great. He's crafty, but he's not fast. And I think that's – Jay got absolutely abused in the opening series against New Orleans. Guys like McCollum and Ingram who are quick, uh, you know, quick off their first step and would blow right just, just right by Jay Crowder. Luka Doncic isn't going to blow by Jay Crowder. So I think if the Suns are able to switch, they can do that. Now the Mavericks are going to try to find situations where they can switch not for just Luka, but they want to get guys like Josh Green, Maxi Kleber, um, uh, who's the other guy, the other uh, shooter? Well, they got Jalen Brunson also, but specifically talking about their guards who are going to be shooting threes, they want to try to get those switches working. Like, they want to get mismatches there. They want to get DeAndre Ayton to step out on Maxi Kleber, right, who's been shooting, like, 52% from three so far this postseason. I just – we've seen this before, and it doesn't go well for opposing teams. <laughs> like, the Suns if – you, if you make the Suns switch, I think the Suns were fourth in the NBA this year in switch defense. Okay, they play that shell. They switch often, but they, they make sure that they – have guys in position to switch to where there's not a mismatch still. Um, obviously, that's that's the key, and the Suns have done you know very very you know very good at that. So the Mavericks are going to try to get Luca versus Chris Paul. If that happens, you're going to try to see the Suns get off of that right away. I just feel like this is a bad bad matchup for the Dallas Mavericks. Like they just there's just no way around it. They're going to get beat up inside by the Suns front court and. When they try to get that Suns front court to come out and defend the perimeter against guards, the Suns front court is actually really, really good at that. Like one of the best in the NBA at coming out to defend the perimeter. So the two things that the Mavericks are, are you know, basically hurting against are two things the Suns do really, really well. And that's not going to go well for the Dallas Mavericks. I think the Suns are going to win this series in five, personally. I think the Suns got a little bit surprised but also we're kind of subjected to a team who's an up-and-comer. And we see it in every league every year. There's some young team, some low-seeded team that everybody's looking at and that, that push up, you know, a potential champion or a highly a highly-seeded team to the brink. We, we see it in every, you know, whether it's NFL, NHL, baseball, uh, whatever you have you. It, we always see one, and I think that was this year with the Pelicans and the Suns. I think we're going to see the Pelicans be a much better team next year. And people are going to look at this year's team and be like, yeah, we saw that in the postseason. We knew that was coming. Kind of like the Suns were two years ago in the bubble, right, when they went 8-0. And and you're like, hey, what's this? The team won 13 games coming into the bubble. Now they won eight in a row, and we're the only team to go undefeated in the bubble. And then we see them go to the NBA Finals the the next season. Oh, yeah, we saw it coming. I think that's the Pelicans. So I think the Suns have have gotten themselves into a good position here playing the Dallas Mavericks. I think it's the team that they wanted to play, to be honest with you. They've won in Dallas multiple times over the last couple of seasons, and I don't think it's going to be a problem going on the road for them. And I think that this season, uh, this series is over in five. I think the Suns take care of business early and often. You're going to see a lot of points scored in the front court, and when you see that happen, the back court is going to open up. As long as the guards can continue to knock down shots, and if somebody – can just rip the ball out of Jay Crowder's hands when he's open and just say, don't shoot, just give me the ball. We're going to try to work the offense a little more. Uh, Again, what was he? Four four of 32 
in the in the in round one, that's not good enough. Twelve and a half percent. Sorry, not. I don't want you shooting the ball anymore. You're done. Like, just, somebody go get the ball from him. <laughs> I said it multiple times. So, uh, so there you have it. That's my little prediction. Um, I just feel like it's a bad matchup for the Mavericks. Great matchup for the Suns. And then we'll see who they play in in round two. I I, I don't think that. People are like, oh, the, the the Warriors are now the favorite to win the West. I, 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 based on what I saw last night, man, they're lacking in athleticism. That Grizzly team between Jaw, Jaron Jackson, and Brandon Clark, those three guys are just flat-out incredible athletes. The Warriors don't have great athletes. They're a great team. They don't have great athletes, guys like that, quick, explosive, fast, strong, you know, guys like that. That's the difference maker there, in my opinion. So, um, so that series could go a little bit longer than uh, than I think a lot of people feel. Uh, that that series could go seven, and I'm not so sure the Warriors win that series. Just just putting it out there. All right, I'll take a timeout. When I return, we're going to turn our attentions to things going on locally as uh, Arizona Wildcats baseball, softball, women's basketball, all in the news. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, turning our attention to local as we are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show here. Lots of stuff going on on campus. Arizona Wildcats, the Batcats take three out of four. Over the extended weekend from the Nevada Wolfpack at the high C as uh, the baseball team, they got shut out on Saturday, 2-0. Uh, first time they've been shut out in, I think it was at 216 consecutive games where they had scored at least a run. So uh, that streak comes to an end, but they do win the series 3-1 to over the Wolfpack. A nice home, uh, you know, 3-1 and uh, for the Wildcats there against a good Nevada team. They're now going to be taking on GCU. GCU comes in for a one-gamer tomorrow night. That game will also be at high court, but GCU really, really good, obviously, this year. We know that. Uh, the, the Wildcats played them earlier and got beat up pretty good uh, by the uh, by the Lopes, and now the Lopes coming to, uh, to Tucson for one game before the Wildcats head out to USC this weekend. USC currently sitting in last place in the Pac-12, 6-15 in conference. They just got tuned up by Washington State over the weekend, um, and USC barely above 500 for the uh, for the year now, if you're looking at the standings, Oregon State in first place. They're 34 and nine on the season, 15 and six in the conference. They had a series uh, victory over Utah over the weekend. They're going to be taking on their rival, uh, Oregon, coming up, and then UCLA in second place. They scored like what? They score 40 runs against ASU this weekend. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, wow. In a three-game set, three-game sweep of the of the Sun Devils, I think they scored like 19 on Friday. They scored 16 yesterday, and another seven or eight over the week on Saturday. Like like 44 runs or something like that. They scored against ASU over the weekend. Uh, so UCLA sitting in second, and the Wildcats third, 32 and 14 now overall, 13 and eight in conference. And as I mentioned, uh, heading to USC this weekend. So. You know, this is a, this is a great opportunity to get four wins this week for the Wildcats. If they can beat GCU at home tomorrow night, and then head to Los Angeles to beat the lowly Trojans and uh, and get a sweep on the road, which would be huge uh, for this team, obviously. 
Now you're looking at a team that has got 17 conference wins heading into the final two weeks of the season, which is going to be important. You know, get yourself into that into that top tier, that you know, that top bracket for the uh, for the upcoming first ever Pac-12 baseball tournament coming up in Scottsdale. So, uh, going to be exciting, and uh, of course, looking forward to uh, keeping the continued coverage of Arizona baseball uh, right here, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. Uh, Arizona women's basketball got a really, really sweet boost yesterday. As last night, uh, it was it was starting to come out on Twitter that Oklahoma State women's basketball superstar Lauren Fields has decided to transfer to Adia Barnes's program here in Tucson, uh, and she brings one hell of a game with her. Now she's uh, she was a junior last year at, o- at Oklahoma State, five foot nine guard. She averaged over 15 points per game. She was second-team All-Big 12 performer. She's also an academic All-Conference performer, meaning that you know, look, this is that's important for Adia Barnes. Like this is a this is a program that's very very proud uh, of its academics, and it should be. And this is uh, this is just another great piece to uh, to this program. So she brings, um, you know, she's you know, first of all, obviously very athletic, but she's got uh, she's kind of like an Ari McDonald where she is very energetic. She creates a lot of steals. She's a good scorer. She can, you know, finish with both hands. Like she's, you know, she's got the, the full, the full gamut of what you're looking for. Um, so very, very, very good to have her because look, this has been a, a rough off season for Adia Barnes and the women's basketball program, a mass exodus of players and an incoming class of great recruits. It's the best recruiting class that this, that women's basketball has ever had. Um, but again, unproven, and we don't know how long it's going to take them to develop, uh, into being the players that we expect them to be. So, uh, getting a, you know, a big time transfer from a, you know, from a big time conference was huge, was paramount for, uh, for Adia Barnes. So, um, looking forward to, uh, to having Lauren Fields on campus and looking forward to seeing her ball out as a member of the, uh, of the Wildcats team this upcoming season. The Arizona Wildcats men's football team, men's football team, the women, I suppose the women's football team, the uh, the, the football team uh, also added a new recruit over the weekend as Wendell Moe posted on Twitter. This was, I, I did not see this coming, did not see it happening, did not know anything about it. This one, like, took me by some complete surprise um, as it was, a, it was uh, Saturday, I think it was. He tweeted out, uh, blessed, thankful, and ready to work, bear down. And Wendell Moe is a, a player that plays at, he's at Long Beach Poly, first of all. Um, he had committed to Morgan State, but then started to get some Power 5 offers. Um, you know, essentially Arizona, you know, his, his first, but was going to be looked at by others. And he jumped at the opportunity to join a Power 5 conference. Now, um, Wendell Moe is kind of a, he's, he's a big man. He plays, plays in the trenches. He's played guard, he's played defensive end, he's played defensive tackle, he's played linebacker, like he's, you know, he's, he's played a, a bunch of different positions. Um, and he, you know, has, is, is going to be a nice addition. He's the perfect fit for what, you know, for what Jed Fish and his program are looking to add. Um, and again, anytime you can get a kid from Long Beach Poly, like that's, that's big stuff, that's big time. You, you know, you want to, you want to get kids from legacy programs like that, start Digging in um, to programs that are NFL factories, 
<laughs> like Long Beach Poly. So uh, excited, very, very excited about Wendell Moe, and that gives them yet another piece to add to that 2022 class, which just continues to get better and better. So super excited about all that. Um, and then other news, uh, I saw that Lucas Haversick was picked up by the Indianapolis Colts. That's, uh, you know, great, you know, great for him. Uh, excited to see that he's going to get an opportunity to, uh, to have a tryout there with the, uh, with the Indianapolis Colts. And Stanley Berryhill picked up a, uh, an undrafted free agent deal with the Atlanta Falcons. Was really excited to see that happen for him. Um, and he's going to have an opportunity to, to really, you know, compete for a position there. And, I, again, this is not going to be a starting position for Stanley Berryhill, but he does a lot of things well. We know that he plays uh, special teams. Uh, we've seen we've seen him kind of escalate his game specifically during his senior season, this final season at college, and then his pro day workouts produced some really good numbers. And the Atlanta Falcons scout that I was talking with, um, who didn't even mention Stanley Berryhill in the conversation that he and I had before the season, was on hand to watch his pro day. Uh, at Arizona, and liked enough to what he saw. Now, here's this is what I've learned. Okay, in my in my many years of doing this, this is this is one of the things that I've learned. And and I've had I've had look I've had family members who were undrafted free agents. A lot of times, what happens is a team likes you enough to not draft you. <laughs> this is very. It's, it sounds confusing. It sounds ridiculous. I know. Hear me out. What happens is a lot of times they know you're not going to get drafted, okay? So what happened, like, okay, this happened to my cousin, first of all, with the, with the Kansas City Chiefs. When he came out in the draft, he, he, was, he wasn't positionless. He just played a lot of different positions at Iowa State on the offensive line. He played tackle. He played guard. Uh, they tried to, you know, Gene Chizik was going to start playing him at center. Like, I think you're going to be better fit for center at the NFL, so we're going to start getting you some reps at center. And he kind of played all over the place, but he wasn't going to get drafted. The Kansas City Chiefs called him Saturday morning, and they're like, hey, you know, if you get drafted, fine, but just so you know, we're going to offer you a contract right now to come and work out for the team, an undrafted free, like before the draft was even over. And I think the same thing probably happened with Stanley. This Atlanta Falcons scout that was at practices that I was at and was at the pro day specifically targeted Stanley Berryhill as a potential undrafted free agent signee the day of the draft. So a team will like you enough to not draft you. They sign you to a contract before the draft is even over, knowing that you're not going to get picked by anybody because they want to get you first. They want, they know that, you know, maybe their picks are over, uh, you know, or, you know, whatever have you. They, they need to spend a pick to get a guy that they're in competition with because there's another team that's targeting them that's going to be going before them. But a team will like you enough to not draft you because they want you specifically, not just your position, they want you specifically. So they try to sign you to a contract before the draft is even over because they want to keep other teams away from you. So I think this is a real feather in the cap for Stanley, who, and and look, I don't know the details, but based on family members who have signed free agent deals with NFL draft or with NFL teams, the day of the draft, they're signing those deals before the draft is even, before Mr. Irrelevant is even named. They've signed the deal. <laughs> so I'm thinking this is kind of the same thing that happened with Stanley, which is good, which means that 
that Falcon scout who was hanging around campus and hanging around the practices and talking to people on campus had himself a uh, an eye on Stanley Burial. Now, like, I don't know if if he was, you know, throwing a smoke screen when I was talking to him before the season began, not mentioning Stanley as a uh, as an NFL player, or maybe Stanley just impressed him enough throughout the season and at the pro workout that he went back to Atlanta and said, "We need to sign this kid. He's not going to get drafted, but we're gonna we're gonna spend we're gonna spend a UDFA on him." And they did. So congratulations to Stanley Berryhill. Also, I mean, look, congratulations to Lucas Haversick. Same, same issue could have happened with, with Lucas with the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know. I'm just specifically talking about because where Stanley went, I was like, gosh, how ironic. The guy that I was talking to uh, and we were discussing some things is the team that ended up taking him. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so very, very happy for those two guys. The Wildcats didn't get anybody drafted, and that's okay. That's going to change. Uh, and I, I think we all know that's going to change based on what Jed Fish is doing. In fact, Jed Fish basically put an end to that yesterday when he said when he tweeted out uh, to the you know I don't remember what he exactly said, but basically to the effect of no more, like that's not going to happen again. So looking forward to brighter things in the uh, in the Wildcats future, specifically on draft day. All right. I'm going to take a time out. When I return, put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of The Jeff Dean Show. That's next right here on ESPN Tucson. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of The Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Final segment, pardon me, segment today's edition of The Jeff Dean Show. And I want to just get – I just want to take a moment to get a little serious, a little personal here and, and uh, step away from sports for just a moment. And the month of May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, if, if you didn't know. Each year, millions of Americans face the reality of living with some form of a mental illness. And over the weekend, uh, a, another – Star, another entertainer, another you know very very famous uh, person uh, lost the battle with mental mental illness. And uh, Naomi Judd is somebody who I knew from years and years ago. Like I, for many of you who don't know, I got my start with country music radio here in Phoenix twenty God, tw- almost got twenty five years ago almost now. Um, and when the Judds, I had a very unique position with Canix. I was basically like a liaison to the stars at a very young age. I was a liaison to the stars. When stars came to town, I was their hospitality agent, essentially. They would meet with them, and I would st- spend time with them. Um, and when the judge came to Phoenix to announce their reunion tour that started on Y2K here in Phoenix, they came, obviously, it's one of the biggest country stations in the world is Canix. And I got to meet Naomi and Wynona and spend a day with them the first day that they were here, spend a day with them when we did an on sale with them, and then, of course, the day of the concert. I could not have been more taken, uh, I, I think, just by just how kind and how generous Naomi was. Like She was just one of the nicest and sweetest people I'd met in the business. And at the time, I was, I was still very young, and I'd only dealt with, with a few super, superstars at the time. But now looking back after doing that job for almost three years and the amount of people that I dealt with, and certainly not, not all of them were sunshine and roses, let me tell you. Looking back, uh, you know, on the good ones, you remember the great ones, you know. Um, and for whatever reason, these entertainers continue to do things that 
confound people. You know, Naomi was about to be inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame this weekend, yesterday. The judge were going to be inducted after a long time waiting. They were going to have another reunion tour. They, she just performed a couple of weeks ago with her daughter. And it's at these times where it's almost like these people, these entertainers who are dealing with mental illness, depression, whatever have you, it's almost like they can't take the moment of adulation, of, of recognition, much the same way that Chris Cornell, when he took his life, and so, so many others, Robin Williams and so many others. What I'm trying to say is you just never know. When, it's almost at the times when you think that someone is on top of the mountain is when they're at the very bottom. So just remember that when you're talking with people throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year, throughout the rest of your life. You never know what somebody's dealing with, and just try to be kind to people and be there for them. Be, be an outlet for them. And take mental health very, very seriously. All right, that's going to wrap things up. Thank you, Mary. Back in the studio. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali today from 3 to 6, and I'll see you guys again tomorrow morning right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to The Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson.